had a small part at a local theater which kept a permanent stock company. Her husband was in the same business, but he was not working that season. It was the wife who paid the bills, and a lot of quarreling they did about it. I knocked at the door at ten o'clock, and Mr. Ladley opened it. He was a short man, rather stout and getting bald, and he always had a cigarette in his mouth. Even yet the parlor smells of them in damp weather. "'What do you want?' he asked sharply, holding the door open about an inch. "'The water's coming up very fast, Mr. Ladley,' I said. "'It's up to the swinging shelf in the cellar now. I'd like to take up the carpet and move the piano.' "'Come back in an hour or so,' he snapped and tried to close the door. "'But I had got my toe in the crack. "'I'll have to have the piano moved, Mr. Ladley,' I said. "'You'd better put off what you're doing.' I thought he was probably writing. He spent most of his days writing— using the washstand as a desk, and it kept me busy with oxalic acid taking ink spots out of the splasher and the towels. He was writing a play, and talked a lot about the Schuberts having promised to star him in it when it was finished. Hell, he said, and turning, spoke to somebody in the room. We can go into the back room, I heard him say, and he closed the door. When he opened it again, the room was empty. I called in Terry, the Irishman who does odd jobs for me now and then, and we both got to work at the tacks in the carpet, Terry working by the window, and I by the door into the back parlor, which the Ladleys used as a bedroom. That was how I happened to hear what I afterward told the police. Someone, a man, but not Mr. Ladley, was talking. Mrs. Ladley broke in. I won't do it, she said flatly. Why should I help him? He doesn't help me. He loafs here all day, smoking and sleeping, and sits up all night drinking and keeping me awake. The voice went on again, as if in reply to this, and I heard a rattle of glasses as if they were pouring drinks. They always had whiskey, even when they were behind with their board. That's all very well, Mrs. Ladley said. I could always hear her, since she had the theatrical sort of voice which carries. But what about the prying she-devil that runs the house? Hush, for God's sake, broke in Mr. Ladley, and after that they spoke in whispers. Even with my ear against the panel I could not catch a word. The men came just then to move the piano, and by the time we had taken it and the furniture upstairs, the water was over the kitchen floor and creeping forward into the hall. I had never seen the river come up so fast. By noon the yard was full of floating ice, and at three that afternoon the police skiff was on the front street, and I was wading around in rubber boots taking the pictures off the walls. I was too busy to see who the Ladley's visitor was, and he had gone when I remembered him again. The Ladleys took the second-story front, which was empty, and Mr. Reynolds, who was in the silk department in a store across the river, had the room just behind. I put up a coal stove in a back room next to the bathroom and managed to cook the dinner there. I was washing up the dishes when Mr. Reynolds came in. As it was Sunday, he was in his slippers, and he had the colored supplement of a morning paper in his hand. "'What's the matter with the Ladleys?' he asked. "'I can't read for their quarreling.' "'Booze, probably,' I said. "'When you've lived in the flood district as long as I have, Mr. Reynolds, "'you'll know that the rising of the river is a signal for every man in the vicinity "'to stop work and get tight. "'The fuller the river, the fuller the male population. "'And this flood will likely make them drink themselves to death,' he said. "'It's a lulu.' "'It's the neighborhood's annual debauch. "'The women are busy keeping the babies from getting drowned in the cellars, "'or they'd get full, too.' Since it's come this far, I hope it will come farther, so the landlord will have to paper the parlor. That was at three o'clock. At four, Mr. Ladley went down the stairs, 
and I heard him getting into a skiff in the lower hall. There were boats going back and forth all the time, carrying crowds of curious people and taking the flood sufferers to the corner grocery, where they were lowering groceries in a basket on a rope from an upper window. I had been making tea when I heard Mr. Ladley go out. I fixed a tray with a cup of it and some crackers and took it to their door. I had never liked Mrs. Ladley, but it was chilly in the house with the gas shut off and the lower floor full of ice water, and it is hard enough to keep boarders in the flood district. She did not answer to my knock, so I opened the door and went in. She was at the window, looking after him, and the brown valise which figured in the case later was open on the floor. Over the foot of the bed was the black and white dress with the red collar. When I spoke to her, she turned around quickly. She was a tall woman, about twenty-eight, with very white teeth and yellow hair, which she parted a little to one side and drew down over her ears. She had a sullen face and large, well-shaped hands, with her nails long and very pointed. The she-devil has brought you some tea, I said. Where shall she put it? She-devil, she repeated, raising her eyebrows. It's a very thoughtful she-devil. Who called you that? But what with the sight of the valise and the fear that they might be leaving, I thought it best not to quarrel. She had left the window and, going to her dressing table, had picked up her nail file. Never mind, I said. I hope you were not going away. These floods don't last, and they're really a benefit. Plenty of the people around here rely on them every year to wash out their cellars. No, I'm not going away, she replied lazily. I'm taking that dress to Miss Hope at the theater. She is going to wear it in Charlie's aunt next week. She hasn't half enough of a wardrobe to play leads in stock. Look at this thumbnail, broken to the quick. If I had only looked to see which thumb it was, but I was putting the tea tray on the washstand and moving Mr. Ladley's paper to find room for it. Peter the Spaniel begged for a lump of sugar, and I gave it to him. Where's Mr. Ladley? I asked. Gone out to see the river. I hope he'll be careful. There's a drowning or two every year in these floods. Then I hope he won't, she said calmly. Do you know what I was doing when you came in? I was looking after his boat and hoping it had a hole in it. You won't feel that way tomorrow, Mrs. Ladley, I protested, shocked. You're just nervous and worn out. Most men have their ugly times. Many a time I wished Mr. Pittman was gone. Until he went. Then I'd have given a good bit to have him back again. She was standing in front of the dresser, fixing her hair. She turned and looked at me over her shoulder. Probably Mr. Pittman was a man, she said. My husband is a fiend, a devil. Well, a good many women have said that to me at different times. But just let me say such a thing to them, or repeat their own words to them the next day, and they would fly at me in a fury. So I said nothing, and put the cream into her tea.